duties of a first responder leaves many scars, physical and even more so, mental. The trauma from these sights and experiences last a lifetime and require years of healing. An effort is ongoing in Kansas to help destigmatize first responder wellness and guarantee workers' compensation for those with diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder caused by time in the field. On the Kansas Reflector podcast to discuss are Ed Klump with the Kansas Peace Officers Association, Douglas County Sheriff Jay Armbruster, and J.D. Smith, a Butler County paramedic. Kicking off the conversation about the burdens first responders carry is the sheriff. Well, the physical, I can tell you this, is that uh, it puts weight on you. Um, the, the constant <laughs> state, uh, <laughs> and it's, I know, and we all laugh and joke, and, and I'm the perfect example, but really there's actually science behind it that, that when um, a body is kept in a constant state of anxiety and worry and uh, a heightened sense of awareness, your body's constantly re, uh, 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 giving out cortisol, which then forces the body to layer fat around your organs to protect itself, you know, and that's why you typically see, especially in my case, <laughs> that I've put on weight through the middle. And so, um, and that's just a, that's a, obviously a very lay person's understanding of how that works, but, but also physically, you know, um, I've actually had back surgery from, uh, riding in a patrol car with the belt. I had a, I had a, a disc that was ruptured in my L5 S1 and, the, it was rubbing on my sciatic nerve and it nearly severed it. I'd waited so long. And, you know, just the simple act of riding in a vehicle with your right foot cocked slightly to the right, as if riding on a gas pedal will actually throw your hips and everything out of balance. And we put on hundreds of thousands of miles in a career. So it's little things like that. But of course that pales in comparison to the mental toll. Um, and, and my testimony was clear that I was raised in a great household. Um, I, I've never wanted for a thing in my life. I lived a life of privilege. But when it came to the work I was doing, I was not prepared for the traumas and the way it would affect me. I have a special way of processing traumas, as it turns out. And uh, I just started building up layers of snow on my roof, so to speak, and until, until the, the snow was too much to carry and it, and it collapsed my roof, metaphorically. And so the toll that it had on me personally, but especially also on those around me who loved me most and the ones that were working with me, um, really, it really showed where uh, the work needed to be done in order to, one, avoid this, and two, make sure the people who are suffering uh, can get the help they need. Ed, JD, anything to add to that? Uh, one of the things I would add to that, uh, Sheriff is, is dead on with how that how that all works and everything. And I think that one of the things that we need to really, oh, a concept that we need to really embrace is the fact that doing this type of work, it creates, it can create a, what's a mental injury, the same as a physical injury, you know? And so a physical injury, you know, covered by work comp and is treated medically and uh, you know is, is well documented and well taken care of for the most part you know uh, but a mental injury is not you know and this is a, an aspect of response that we're just now starting to explore more than any other time uh, with the concepts of peer support teams and and uh, uh, getting you know some some services have a therapist on on call all the time and stuff like that 
but you know, the, we need to, we need to, it's a, uh, it, you can have a mental health injury just like any other injury and it needs to be treated as such. I uh, add anything to add on to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add a couple of things. Uh, I, I think uh, the sheriff did a good job of, of explaining how the, the physical well-being and the psychological well-being, the mental health well-being go together. Um, if either one is failing, it affects the other. And uh, there's a lot of both physical stress and mental stress involved in all of our first responder activities, whether it's police, fire, or EMS. Um, we see horrible things. We, uh, we see things that are personally horrible for us. Uh, for example, I, I worked a fatal hit and run one time of a seven-year-old child. And um, I, I was a sergeant over the accident investigation unit at the time. And so the child had been taken to the, to the hospital by ambulance. And I went to the emergency room. We, we had been notified the child had died. I, I went to the, the emergency room. And uh, my job was, was to look at the child and see if I could find any paint chips or anything like that that might be on his body and I uh, walked into the room and there was this child laying on the bed in, in one of the uh, emergency rooms with with a single bed and at first glance he looked exactly like my seven-year-old boy and uh, that was uh, you know an example of just how sometimes it's something personal um, that, that really strikes you at the right time and, and causes a lot of things. The, um, the physical well-being and the mental health well-being are both something that law enforcement, I know, uh, our national organizations have really stepped up the pace on to yep. help us yes. have materials and programming and things that help us in establishing good solid foundation for both physical and, and mental health wellness. And, and that's the first phase of addressing this problem is how do we prepare people for the traumatic events that we see so that we better cope with them? And, uh, and, and that's the first phase. And the second phase then is how do we address uh, immediately after one of these traumatic events? And so we have things like peer support, um, organizations and groups that that we utilize in those cases uh, and and we have mental health professionals in some of those involved as well and then the third step is the early stages of post-traumatic stress is not the disorder or the disease it's just the stress that we incur and how we respond to that and and how we get treated for that in those early stages can make a difference of whether we reach the disorder stage, which is what this bill addresses, is that fourth and final stage where it's a disorder. And under the DSM guidelines, there's, there's uh, six groups of symptoms that have to be looked at independently. And in four of those groups, you have to meet at least one criteria and two of them, you have to meet two criteria to be uh, classified as, as being in the uh, in the post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and along with that, those symptoms have to interfere with your daily uh, uh, life function, and they have to last for at least 30 days. 
And so, um, you know, there, there's a difference in, in these stages. And so one of the things that is important in first responders is getting the first responders to feel like their, their employer is going to support them uh, when they encounter these, these stressors. And if they need time away from work, they need time away from work. And so, um, so the importance of, of the bill then becomes um, in, in, in making that support clear. And so that, that's how we, we get there. Right. And kind of, Ed, if you wouldn't mind talking about the, the lead up to this bill, what is the, the state of care for first responders when it comes to mental wellness in Kansas? You know, how is it being approached across the state? Well, I think we're in various stages, but I, our, associate, our state associations have incorporated this kind of training very heavily the last two years in our annual training conferences. And so we're getting a lot of good information out there uh, that helps the agencies develop plans on, on monitoring people for signs of traumatic stress and then having mechanisms in place to respond. Um, and I'll give you an example, peer support. Not, not every agency is big enough to have their own peer support. And so we, we share our peer support teams with other agencies. Sometimes it's between local agencies and sometimes we utilize the peer support uh, programs of like the KBI or the KHP uh, to come in and, and do those for law enforcement. And, and those are all tools that, um, you know, when I was a police officer, we didn't have hardly any of those tools. And in fact, you know, if you were in a traumatic event, uh, you were just expected to buck up and, and uh, be there the next day with a smile on your face. And, uh, and like nothing had ever happened. Um, and, and so we've come a long way. Uh, we have a long way to go yet, but a lot of it now is, is convincing employees that, that they can come forward when they're struggling in a confidential way to get the help they need to make sure that we retain them as a viable employee. And so that brings us to Senate Bill 491. And as I understand it, it would allow first responders suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder to receive workers' compensation. Uh, I'm going to go back to Ed here briefly. Um, could you kind of fill us in on the kind of minutia of the bill, the overarching approach, uh, and, and why it is needed now? I, you guys have kind of touched on that a little bit already. But. Sure. Um, well, for one thing, uh, now there are only uh, three other states that don't have uh, this kind of coverage in their work comp laws. So current work comp in Kansas will cover post-traumatic stress disorder if the employee also has a physical injury. So if, if you have two officers on a scene and they both are, are submitted to the same tra trauma. One is injured, one is not. One would be eligible for PTSD treatment under work comp, one is not because they weren't injured. And so that's, that's one of the problems because many, many of the, the traumatic stresses that we endure, whether it leads to the disorder or not, 
are, are not the result of injury. They're the result of the experiences and the exposure to the violence and the exposure to these traumatic deaths and crime scenes. And <clears throat> so it's, it's really important that, uh, that we expand this out to where if we can relate the post-traumatic stress back to a job-related event, that work comp would cover that and help us make these employees well again, both physically and mentally, so they can continue their careers. So we've kind of talked about, you know, how you, how you carry these experiences and memories with you. Um, JD and Jay, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, how this bill would personally affect you guys. You know, I know these are difficult points and, and conversations, but whatever you're comfortable with sharing, I, I was interested to know kind of how this has impacted you personally. We can start with uh, JD. I don't have any sort of a diagnosis of, of PTSD. But what I do have is what's called vicarious trauma problems with that, where you witness enough things and you just kind of build up over time. I've been on the street 17 years. And so it just kind of builds up. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to getting something like this going, what, what this would mean for us would be that we can get folks into treatment faster and without having to deal with uh, monetary concerns quite as much, you know, uh, we wouldn't have to get, you know, the, the employees, uh, personal insurance companies involved and, and things like that. Um, I know if, I've had several people that I know in EMS have committed suicide over the last 17 years. I know all of them had to do with PTSD that was acquired on the job. And right there is three people that would still be alive today if such a thing existed where they could have received treatment in a timely manner. And if it was, you know, covered by work comp, you know, to, to help remove one of those barriers to treatment. You know, we have to change the mindset. We have to get people to understand that they need treatments. Um, and so is, that is removing a barrier towards making people better and healthier. So uh, that, that's really where my personal part of it comes in is, is knowing those people that we've lost and uh, thinking about the, the, the future lives we can save. Sheriff. Yeah, and and same for me as JD is where it's it's either vicarious or secondary trauma, but it's also cumulative trauma for for is what I realize is that it was a bunch of little tiny layers of snow. Exactly. Um, and uh, and so I've never been shot. I've never been shot at. I've never been hit by a car. Uh, I mean, I got brushed by a car one time, but uh, he was drunk and he got arrested. So that was no big deal. But but it's the little things that that over the course of a career that have built up for me, and and in my personal case, it was a career of of things that came that came to a head one afternoon, uh, one hot afternoon in 2015, that completely destroyed everything that I understood about how I was doing, and so <clears throat> this the testimony and this bill moving forward for me um, is going. I, I intend at every chance I can is to get my story out there 
no matter how painful for me, because just like me being in a big urban-ish Douglas County, we have the resources and we have the people. It's not about me because we can really, we really have a lot of things we can do ourselves. It's about taking care of the other hundred counties that don't have these, these uh, things that we do. You know, a, a deputy in Thomas County is in crisis, has to go to maybe even Topeka or Wichita or Denver. Um, whereas I have five clinicians to choose from in this area. So, but, but personally, I know that this is gonna rip a lot of scabs off of, of my healed wounds, some of them, but it is, it is absolutely worth it in order to get get these uh, get the legislators to understand exactly what it is that they're talking about, because PTSD has been a, a buzzword used for the last decade and a half when we talk about soldiers of war coming back from a foreign land, and and it's hard for even when when they told me that I had it, I'm like I've never been to war, I, I don't even know what that's like. You can't lump me in with those poor guys. And, and so it's really about destigmatizing the terms and the wording and the usage, but also understanding that day to day, our local first responders are dealing with some shit that ain't nobody supposed to be dealing with. And, and I think that the true real life stories of what we've been through and what we've seen and what we carry is, is really the, 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 the direction I'm headed. Um, you know, Ed gives great examples of of not only his career, but of, of how the system itself in other states, whereas I don't know a lot of that stuff, but what I do know is what another person's blood does to my hair. You know, I do know what, what arterial blood looks like on an asphalt road. I do know the sound that a mother makes when you explain to her that her son is never coming home. So, so that's, that's where I feel like I'm going to be able to, to do the most work is to bring those experiences forward. So, so yeah, is it going to be painful? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Even more. So that's, 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 that's where I'm headed. Gotcha. So no, nor could I add on to sure. yeah, of course. that, um, Jay brought up a point that remind me of something that I think is really important when talking about this bill. When I was chief of police here in Topeka, um, I, I was chief during 9-11. And um, we had over 40 of our officers were in National Guard Reserves that got activated uh, into the military. And we had, I believe it was four of them came back with PTSD. Uh, PTSD to the order that the military um, called me and told me that they would recommend that I not allow them to go on street duty uh, while they were undergoing treatment. Um, those individuals would not have been eligible even under this bill because the PTSD was not related to the job as a police officer. But it illustrates how successful this can be. We had four officers come back. Uh, one of them, we had to actually not allow to be in uniform while he was undergoing treatment. Uh, the other three, and I think it was three, it's either two or three, they actually were able to work light duty. We, we just kept them away from the traumatic events. We allowed them to work in the offices doing tasks that needed to be done and, and things like that. Uh, the military provided all the treatment and um, all of those officers came back and, and completed their career with the police department. Uh, 
So it just demonstrates that number one, treatment can bring these people back to their function. Absolutely. And number two, that there is a neat, there is a period when people are in this disorder stage, there is a period of time when we need to stop piling on the small traumas on top of what they're already faced with. And we do that by accommodating them with taking them out of that, that traumatic arena that they normally work in. And we do that through light duty or we do that through giving them time off. And that's another area where this bill becomes very important is it allows them to have that time off while being compensated that for part of that time through work comp. Work comp doesn't cover 100% of your time. It covers somewhere around two thirds of it. I forget what the exact form, uh, formula is. Right. But, it, but it allows them at that time they need to go through treatment and to recover. And, and that demonstrated to me how important this was because it demonstrated that even the worst cases of PTSD are treatable and we can save these people's careers. And more importantly, we really save their lives. One of the things that a, uh, a veteran told me one time uh, when he heard that I was interested in, in peer support and first responder mental health and all of that stuff, he told me that, that when a soldier comes home, when they, have, they experience these traumatic things in a war zone or wherever they're at, and they come home and the, and the trauma stops adding up, right? They, it, it's, it's, essentially, it's over except for the treatment part, right? But with first responders, we're in it every day and we keep adding it and adding it and adding it and you're doing it for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. It just keeps adding up. You know, all these uh, micro traumas and small things like what uh, Sheriff was talking about. And so that's one of the differences between first responder PTSD and uh, veteran or military PTSD is the, the cumulative effects and the fact that, you know, you, you, just, you just keep stacking up because you're in it every day. Yep. Great point. You guys uh, brought up something earlier and it was talking about the stigma uh, of mental wellness. And it was something I was going to ask a little bit later on, but, um, you know, mental wellness, uh, the stigma around it, the, or I think the perception of it has come a long way in the past decade. Mm -hmm. um, it's much more commonly accepted, but you know, there are still misunderstandings. There are still stigmas that, and such that linger. So I, I wanted to kind of provide an opportunity for you guys to talk about maybe some of the stigmas that you still see that are important to, to clear up and anybody can go ahead and jump in. Sure. I can make that one actually. Go ahead. Um, so, uh, from, from me, for me personally, I was fortunate enough to be in a, uh, an agency with a sheriff who believed in mental health and wellness. Plus, he also believed in me because of the career that I had had. But what I do know is that when I went and got my sought treatment and got help, I knew that there was a chance I was never going to be a, a law enforcement officer again. So therefore, I didn't have that kind of worry. There are some people who would not even consider ever not doing this job. Therefore, that creates their own roadblock. They're like, I'm not going to do anything that I'm going to risk my own career and admit something to somebody who's going to pull me away from this job. So 
we still have people like uh, even in my agency, uh, we've had, uh, I have a specific examples of corrections officers and deputies who have said, don't, please don't hold this against me in the future. And, and when I put in for a promotion or if I put in for a transfer, please don't use this against me. I'm trusting you on this. And I know that, and what, I, what, I've, what I've tried to do is create a, 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 a foundation of trust that, that they can trust me enough to admit that they're not okay right now, but they, will, they want to be better. And then they'll let me know when they are better. And then we'll go back to the way things were with, with maybe just a little bit more uh, direction on their part telling me, hey, is it a, I'm good with this, or I don't know if this is a good idea for me. So, but I know that that's, I'm one county of 105 and there's, there's some counties who either can't or won't be able to do things like that. So therefore you're always gonna have a little bit of a stigma and a fear from the line staff's perception of if I, if I rat myself out on this, I'm basically either pigeonholing myself or maybe even blackballing myself. So it's, it's about a culture change. And I think we still have ways to go. What I do think, though, is, is the most important is that we destigmatize by leaders in, in, or other people in agency who have the respect of their peers coming forward and saying, I had to go get treatment. I, I am on medication. I here is my therapist and you should, too. That has been the biggest thing is because everybody I talk to who is going through something, they'll say, it's so weird. I heard so-and-so talking about it and I realized that I needed to go and now I'm talking about my story and somebody came to me and says oh I would have never gone to get help had I not heard about heard from you so so I think I think we're there's still work to be done but I also feel like that that we're absolutely headed in the right direction yeah it took several people I think to be the first ones to go out <laughs> and admit that there was a problem uh, that's what I did at our agency uh, I, I admitted that yeah, I have depression and anxiety. Yeah, I've been suicidal in the past. I can honestly say that I've, I've beat that. But uh, I had to put myself out there to get a change, you know, and it was scary to do that. You know, I'm sure it was with you as well. But, you know, it, there's been enough courageous individuals industry-wide that have spoken out. And I think that's really done the most as far as changing the stigma of being weak or not being able to do your job anymore or mm -hmm. you know, making somebody else, you know, I had to go home for this shift. So now somebody else has to do my work for me, you know, that sort of a thing. And so that's, we're changing it. We, like you said, we got a ways to go yet, but it's uh, it's way better than it used to be. Yeah. And I would, I would just add to that, that uh, probably the first thing behind the importance of peer support and leadership support is what this bill provides. And that is a recognition on paper that this is something that's treated like any other disease or illness. That we have gone to the extent now where we recognize it as a work comp issue. And under work comp laws, the primary goal is to get that employee back to work, whether it's a right. physical injury or a mental health injury. Absolutely. And, and this is a very, very critical tool 
to reinforcing with the employees what the leadership is saying in their agency and what their peers are telling them is we've got your back. We're going to do everything we can to make you well. We're going to make sure we do everything we can to see you finish the career of serving the public that you chose. Got it. Um, and then to just to wrap up, uh, since we're running out of time here a little bit, um, I kind of wanted to give you guys the floor to, you know, send a, a message, whether it's to legislators who are considering the bill, to first responders, um, whoever it may be, kind of, you know, what are what is important to understand about this bill, this issue, um, you know, any anything that uh, you think is important just to, to get out there. And uh, we can start with uh, whoever whoever is most prepared to, to give that sort of answer. One of the things to remember, I should say, is that this is a, a, a great step, okay? This is a great step towards uh, working on this particular issue, but it's also not the end all be all either, okay? This is a good step. This is not gonna cure the problem, but this is a definite way that we can help mitigate some of these issues. And uh, this would be uh, this this would go a long way towards towards taking care of people, and uh, I know that this would be very helpful. And uh, uh, even going further beyond this, but like like uh, like Ed was saying, we can now we got something on paper that shows we're addressing this issue, and then from then on we can build upon this success. I'll go next. I think I think the main thing that I that I would try to get out to legislators is that first off they're citizens and they have homes they drive cars they deal they have an opportunity to deal with law enforcement just like any other citizen and I don't think anybody would disagree that we want the most healthy uh, in tuned clear-minded individuals working the streets whether it be on a fire truck in an ambulance or in a patrol car. We can extrapolate out into these horrible things that have happened. I know even during the hearing, Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis was brought up about the potential of him having some sort of traumas or mental health issues. Who knows? We could, we could guess that all day long. But what I can tell you is that, is the potential there for that to have happened? Absolutely. Is it, is it a fact? No, no clue. But we cannot deny that if, if Derek Chauvin had been an officer in Kansas and had suffered traumas and had to go to work because he couldn't get the help he needed, then, then the state would have held a certain amount of uh, guilt for having, have, having forced him back into a uniform when he may not have been ready. This is all conjecture, of course. But the, the problem with this is that this bill will bring the help to the people who need it. But all of a sudden, we can count officer and first responder suicides, but we cannot count the number of lives that will be saved because you cannot count something that does not happen. So therefore, the stats will only follow where, where we don't do our work. We're gonna show all of these suicides. Now we can show a decrease. And I think that we're gonna show a decrease whether this bill passes or not, just simply because of the hard work that first responders are doing. But I think this is one more thing that's going to kick this across the end line to get us in a position where we can really do some good work 
and give these people the security that, that they, they deserve to get the help they need. Um, and, and, and I'll say this too, as, as far as the imperfection of this bill, there are several other groups that I would love to add to the bill right now. It's just firefighters, paramedics, uh, EMS, and police. Um, I believe dispatchers, and then uh, maybe, yes. uh, and also uh, uh, civilian uh, crime scene uh, personnel who go in and work crime scenes. And then also our civilian digital forensic examiners who, who dig into some of the most disgusting phones and computers you've ever even seen or heard of and have to carry that. And they're not even cops. Um, and then like for myself, I'm going to, I have a, I'm going, I'm taking on a new role of, of coroner scene investigators where I'm going to have civilians that do the work of the coroner who go to every death scene and have to do an investigation, whether it be an infant child or a 102 year old person, those people will see traumas. And I think that this bill should and will be expanded out into some of those, but, but nonetheless, I'm very happy that we are getting the forward progress on it as it is. Add anything to anything to say? Yeah, I know we're almost out of time, but real quickly, I think my message would be to legislators and the opponents to the bill. And that is the concern seems to be, at least from the opponents, the the added cost to work the work comp program. It's going to raise the premiums. And we have some data from Colorado, which added this provision that they're they were much like Kansas. That if you had an injury, it was covered. If you didn't have an injury, it wasn't covered. And they added the, the full coverage for first responders in 2017. And since they've added this, they average 15 claims per year. And if you average out that cost and, and cover it over the number of employees statewide uh, that would be covered under work comp, the, the added cost is... Um, less than six cents per employee per year six cents per employee per year and you know i don't care if it was a dollar per employee per year we have to put people ahead of the dollars <laughs>